Today we're going to look at Hebrews 9 verses 11 to the end of the chapter. It's quite a long chunk. It's a bit of a climax of one of the author's arguments in the, 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 the letter to the Hebrews. Wonderful passage and I'll read it now. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things, the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Oh Lord, as we look at this, as we look at your sacrifice, as we look at the wonderful truth that you have done it, Lord, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Lord, would you give us open hearts to hear your truth, to to just see how wonderful you are, to how wonderful it is, You have done it, Lord. Amen. Okay, so 
all the way through the, the book of Hebrews so far, we've been seeing this picture that the author's building up. Something far better has come. He's speaking into a, as the, as the title suggests, a Hebrew audience, a Jewish audience, people who've, Jesus has come to, who they, who they've received Jesus, but they've come out of a Jewish background. He's saying, look, what you have received now is so much better. It's so much better. This is what everything has been pointing to. Jesus has come. Everything you've seen before, all the Old Testament has been building to this point. He has come. He is the way. He's focused specifically in the last couple of, last few chapters of, look, Jesus has come as our great high priest. You've been familiar with the high priest before. They came, they went to the tabernacle, they went to the temple and they offered sacrifices. But look, Jesus has come. He is so much better. He wants them to recognize, look guys, there is no other way. There is no other way, only this glorious truth. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the truth for them and for us is we cannot settle for anything less or anything else than the truth of this. And apologies, if I put slides up again, I will remember to find the subtle reminder to visit the welcome area that is on the slide template and take it off. But we're coming to a climax of something that we started looking at in chapter 8. He's come back, he's looked at, he's looked at, Jesus is our great high priest, but he's not like Aaron. He's not like the priest from before. He's of the order of Melchizedek. And he looked at Melchizedek and the, this great king and priest from the Old Testament. And he said, look, Jesus is different. He's so much better. He comes to chapter 8 and says, look, now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest. We do have Jesus. He has come. It's real. This is the truth. And the great truth is he is greater than the Old Testament priests. He is greater than the ones who've come before. He's the perfect eternal priest. He is reigning forever as king. And he's serving forever before the throne as priest. He's interceding for us before God. And that glorious truth is that we have such a high priest. And as he goes on to explain in the beginning of chapter 8, he looks to compare a bit more. He says, look, because Jesus is a new, greater high priest, there's a new covenant. A new covenant that is so much better. And look, he doesn't go into the old tabernacle anymore. This is, this is no longer God's dwelling place on earth, this old tent or temple that was built. Now there's something better. Jesus went into the true sanctuary in heaven. But then now, specifically, he comes to his third point, of, or we're coming to his third point in that. We can see as we look at the start of uh, this passage that we read, he's kind of reiterating those things. When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he's brought in the new covenant. He's brought it in, the good things that are now here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Yes, he didn't go 
into the earthly tabernacle. He didn't go into the earthly temple. But the third thing that we see in chapter 8, verse 3, a very simple statement. Yes, he's brought a new covenant. He went to the true tabernacle. But what did he do? In verse 8, verse 3, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And then this very simple statement. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. It's such a simple statement, but that's our focus for this, this entire passage. Jesus had something to offer. Boy, did he have something to offer. As we read on in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 12, we see he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. This is the truth. This is the wonderful truth we believe. Quite simply, Jesus died for us. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, telling to the Corinthians, this is what we preach. This is the truth that we declare. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is the truth we believe. Jesus has died for us. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. See the wonderful truth of John the Baptist's declaration in John chapter 1, verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because you see, this high priest that... The author to the, the writer to the Hebrews has been talking about who he showed us. He's also the king. He's the great high priest. He's also the king, but he was also the sacrifice. We see that wonderful truth in that song we've been singing recently, those words from Revelation 5. He's the lion of Judah. He's the lamb who was slain. The powerful God, Jesus, the king of the universe. It's the lamb who was slain. And this is the climax here of this section. He's looked at the covenant. He's looked at the tabernacle. But here he shows us the basis of the new covenant. Chapter 9, verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So we're homing in and looking at Jesus' sacrifice. I want to pull out four things from this passage that he tells us about this sacrifice. But all the while holding on to that sense, look, this is the truth. This is the wonderful truth that Jesus has brought. How can we settle for anything less? How can we settle for anything else than what he has brought us by his sacrifice? So there are four things. There will be four pictures, and there are four words beginning with E. And I apologize, some of the words beginning with E are quite complicated. They're quite complicated words. 
But there'll be some other words that go along with them that might be easier to understand. And apologies, if you find the E words easy to understand, I'm not trying to patronise. But firstly, Jesus' sacrifice was essential. And here I've just put a picture of the cross. The cross was necessary. The cross was an essential thing. You can see the other words as well. You can get a head start. Jesus had to die. This is the key point, one of the really key points he's looking at here. As he says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. In verse 15, as Jesus said himself at the Last Supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And further in in verse 22 in this passage, we see, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is fundamental, it's necessary, it's an essential thing. It was necessary for Jesus to die. This is a central, the central truth of the gospel. Jesus was going to the cross to pay the price. You see, Paul is clear in Romans. Look, this is the problem that we faced. In Romans 6, verse 23, we see the truth of the situation we were in. Because in Romans 6.23, Paul tells us, for the wages of sin is death. But, and this is the truth that Jesus brings, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But that's the problem, the wages of sin is death. It's been, it's been the clear case from the beginning. In Genesis Chapter 2.17, God told Adam and Eve, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You see, if we turn away from God, if we've rebelled against him in our rebellious state, and death is a certainty, that is the, wage, the wages of sin. That's what, that's what was due to each one of us. And we see the cross was necessary because someone needed to pay the price. In verse 15, he used, which we read already, he uses that word that Jesus has died as a ransom to set us free. It's a picture from the slave market, that, that idea of that slaves were locked in, locked in slavery. But they could be ransomed by paying the price. You could pay the price to set a slave or to purchase a slave because to purchase them, to purchase their freedom. It's the picture that's kind of conjured up. Someone had to pay that price. We see that wonderful, let's see that wonderfully. As Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what had to happen. This is the only way. As Jesus prays in the Garden, Matthew 26, verse 39, as he cries out, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, 
but as you will. And then again in verse 42. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And as we move on, we see this was the only way. The father doesn't say, no, we can do it another way. Jesus knows this is the only way. And this is the way we, that he, the father had laid out from the beginning. A death was required. Blood is required to pay the price. It's required to bring forgiveness. And the writer uses this interesting uh, picture. He starts talking about in the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. But you see, in using that, you see, it is obvious in the case of a will. A will is not going to come into force unless the person dies. If you make a will, that's not going to have any force or effect until your death. And he uses this, and there's a kind of clever wordplay going on in the fact that this word for will in the Greek is the same as the word for covenant. He's talking, look, Jesus has brought in the covenant by his death. Look, see, it's obvious. In the case of a covenant, a testament, a will, there needs to be this death. And you see, when you think about it in terms of a will, you think, yes, it's obvious. It has to be. And he pulls this out and looks at it and thinks and says, and uses this to show. Look, this is the case for the new covenant. In fact, this is why even the old covenant was put into place with blood, with a death. You see, all the sacrifices, and particularly right at the beginning, he's describing the events, uh, particularly of Exodus 24, where Moses kind of sets the covenant in place, the old covenant. And he does it with this, by bringing blood, by killing an animal and bringing blood and, and purifying all the things that would be involved with this blood. Because you see, all of that, it points to the ultimate sacrifice, pointing to the new that was to come. This necessary sacrifice. The truth is, the price had to be paid. God's righteous wrath against sin had to be satisfied. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, We were by nature deserving of his wrath. But in dying, Christ took our place. See those wonderful echoes from what Abraham said when he took Isaac up the mountain. Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb. And in that case, you saw, look, the ram caught in the thicket. But ultimately, God himself would provide the lamb who would pay the price, who would take our place. So that now in the book of Hebrews, our writer can say this. In Hebrews 2, verse 9. It's just said, we don't, we don't see all this yet, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death 
for everyone. Jesus' death was necessary because there needed to be. The price needed to be paid. Sin needed to be dealt with. God's wrath against sin needed to be satisfied. His righteous wrath. We were deserving of it, and yet Christ has taken our place. So his sacrifice was essential. His sacrifice was also exquisite. I've used that word. I quite like the word. I've used the word because it begins with E. But I'm also talking about the fact, look, Christ's sacrifice was flawless. It was perfect. The writer to the Hebrews uses the word, look, he presented himself unblemished. And diamonds are judged by all the small imperfections you could find. Any kind of little crack or cloudiness or any kind of anything inside that you could see. And the top grade of diamond, very rare, is just simply called flawless. They're just marked out as being flawless. Because when they look under a microscope up to some amount of magnification, they see nothing. They can't find anything that is wrong. Any kind of little defect or anything. No cracks, no anything. The structure of it is perfect. Even beyond that, Christ is our perfect, exquisite sacrifice. Flawless. We see even in the Old Testament that God instructed, even the Old Testament sacrifices, they had to be an animal without defect, unblemished. We see it in, if you want to later look at the early chapters in Leviticus, in Leviticus 1 verse 3 it says this, in 3 verse 1, in 4 verse 3, in 5 verse 14, on and on, different sacrifices. Choose an animal without defect, unblemished, and bring him, bring him to me. And ultimately, in terms of, as a picture for us, in Exodus 12, verse 5, we see the Passover lamb. If we remember the story of the Passover. And the Israelites were instructed, take a lamb, put the blood, kill it, and put the blood over the door. And then I will pass over. And, and, and as I kill the firstborn of Egypt, I'm gonna, you will be unharmed. But again there, a lamb, unblemished, without defect, perfect. It's all pointing towards Christ, our perfect sacrifice. 1 Peter 1.18 puts it this way. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It's the perfect sacrifice. We see in Hebrews 4, verse 15, we see we can can boldly come to this high priest because, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He lived a perfect life, 
Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life. So that as, the, as our author has already said again in chapter 3, verse 10, not chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 2, verse... Hmm. As he's already said, in chapter 2, verse 10, yes. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of that salvation perfect through what he suffered. We see one, the perfect son of God, who came to earth, and through everything, the life he lived, through the suffering he endured, he became perfectly qualified perfectly qualified as both God and man, the one who lived a perfect life, the one who was completely and utterly perfect, unblemished, without defect. Perfect to be the one who could pay the price. His sacrifice was essential. It was exquisite. It's also enduring. This is a sacrifice that as Christ made it, he has done it. And he doesn't go in again and again. He doesn't go back again and again. Quite simply, like, a per- like using a permanent pen, he has taken it and written, it is finished. And it's not going anywhere. He's not taken a whiteboard marker and put it on the board and then you can just rub it away. But like with a permanent pen, you write it once. And pushing it a bit, the permanent pen will stay there forever. It's done. He shows us through this passage in verse 12, we see... Yes, that he didn't enter by means of blood and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. And he builds on this and reiterates it beautifully towards the end of the passage in verse 25. He said he didn't enter a sanctuary made with human... Let's start verse 24. Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. But nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, it's in direct contrast with what we were looking at the last time we were in Hebrews. That the priests would regularly go into the outer room. They would go in, they would offer whatever sacrifices were required again and again and again. And every year, it was only once a year and it was only the high priest who could go. But every year, the high priest would come in to the most holy place and offer the sacrifice that was required. And then next year, he'd have to come again. And next year he would come again. But Jesus' perfect sacrifice has lasting, enduring, permanent effect. And again, 
Last time we saw verse 9 of chapter 9 says, this is an illustration for the present time. And we were showing about the tabernacle and about the fact they had to keep coming with these sacrifices and the fact that people couldn't come in apart from the high priest. It's a picture to show. You can't come in. The priests have to keep coming in. It shows that these sacrifices could not clear the conscience of the worshipper in his words. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. They had to keep coming back. They had to be repeated over and over until the time. Until the time of the new order. As our writer has shown us, it was a shadow of what was to come. But when Christ came, then he went once and for all. His sacrifice is enough. Again, we see that throughout in verse 12. It's once for all. Again, in verse 25, they came again and again, but he doesn't. In verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. So what we see is we see our king who reigns forever. Our high priest who stands forever. He's there before the throne interceding for us. We also see his perfect sacrifice that endures forever in terms of its effect. The cross is enough. There is no other sacrifice that is needed. He has done it. And so finally, it's essential, it's exquisite, it's enduring. But his sacrifice ultimately is effective. We've kind of been hinting at that all the way through and we know it. But Jesus' sacrifice was effective. We see that all the way through this passage. This death, Christ dying for us as the perfect lamb once for all, has done it. He has done it. And we see throughout the passage, what has he done in verse 12? We see he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. And then in verse 14, we've seen the old sacrifices could make people outwardly clean. There was an outward cleansing that could come by this particular ceremony that's described. But how much more then? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? So that what? So that we may serve the living God. <coughs> what has his sacrifice done? Verse 15, he died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed. And ultimately in verse 28, right at the end, He just throws this in there. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, his sacrifice has done it, but to bring salvation. To bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The truth of Christ's sacrifice is that as Christ said on the cross, it is finished. He has done it. And we see these different things. We, I put the picture up 
sorry, Karis. <laughs> of chains broken. Again, it's that picture he talks about being redeemed, of being ransomed. That sense, look, of a slave being bought. The chains are taken off. They're gone. He's free. This is what Christ has done. Where once we were slaves to sin, chained, held, now the price is paid. We're no longer slaves to sin. As we sing sometime, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Saviour has ransomed me. But more so in this passage, he focuses a bit more on this sense of his blood making us clean. This is the effect that his sacrifice has. We've said it already, the comparison with the old covenant that in verse 13 we can see that the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean can sanctify them so they're outwardly clean. He goes on to say, look how much more. That Jesus' blood, as he says, cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death. His blood deals right with the heart. His blood deals and makes us properly clean. Inwardly clean, completely clean. Deals with sin and cleans us out. He goes on looking at, after he's talked about this, well, in talking about the will and about the need for blood and the need for a death, he says, look, everything in the old covenant, it was, it was purified with this blood. They put sprinkled blood on everything that was used in the tabernacle, everything that was going to be used to, in the worship of God, in the service of him. But then he draws the comparison and says, look, the heavenly things have been purified by his blood. And you see through this, he speaks of cleansing and he does this comparison with the, tab- the old tabernacle and then the heavenly tabernacle. And we see, yes, that Jesus has gone before the throne. This is where he's gone. But also we see that we're now the dwelling place of God's. We see, look, Christ has cleansed the heavenly thing. Christ has cleansed God's dwelling place. He's made us clean. As 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, look, look, you like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. We see in 1 Corinthians 3, it talks of us being the temple of God. Or the temple of the Holy Spirit where God dwells within us. We see here, look, we've been cleansed. This sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice has cleaned us up. Cleansed us so, so that we can serve him. All the Old Testament things that were used in the service of God, they were cleansed by the blood of calves and goats and all this stuff. But we've been completely cleaned by Jesus' blood. By his sacrifice. If we know him, if we've come into his uh, family, if we've come and said, look, Jesus, I know you are the way. And this is what he's done. This is what his sacrifice has done. It's an effective sacrifice. It has done it. 
So what does it mean? It's this wonderful truth that that word but is always, always leads to something seemingly great in scripture. But when Christ came, the old has gone, the new has come. This is the reality. His sacrifice has done it. But the writer to the Hebrews is clear. In, in, in just, it's been an undercurrent all the way through as he's been writing. So therefore, don't settle for anything less. Therefore, how can you even think about, for them, going back to the temple, going back to the synagogue? How can you even think about it? Because this is so much better. So much better. This is the way. His sacrifice has paid the price. And the truth for us, look, the perfect son of God laid down his life and died the death that we all deserved. He's dealt with sin. He paid the price. He set us free. How can we settle for anything less than what he has brought us into? You see, the Hebrews could have turned back to the ritual and the religion, the kind of comforting sense of we're doing the right things and we're doing this and we're we're sorting it out. But we can settle similarly for we're coming along. We're doing the right thing. This is what it's about. I need to come on a Sunday. I need to make sure I read my Bible. I need to do this. I need to be praying. I need to be doing it. And what's Jesus done? He's cleansed our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And in doing so, he has made it possible that he can dwell in us by his spirit. To live lives for him. This is the wonderful truth. So ultimately, how can we respond but to worship and serve the Lord? Not with any sense of, well, we ought to. How else can we respond to this? How else can we respond but to echo Joshua's word, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And to take, to accept all that Jesus has won for us. It's, It's glorious truth. It's humbling truth. But it's exciting and it's awesome. What has God got for us? He's won us by Jesus' sacrifice. He has won us, brought us in, made us into a dwelling place for him by his spirit. Our chains are gone. We can serve the Lord. We cannot settle for anything less. Let's pray. Father God, we are humbled, we are awestruck by the truth that you sent your son to die. Jesus, we are we are ruined by the fact that you chose to come and die in our place. Lord, we can so easily gloss over it in the sense that we are so familiar with the truth 
that the Son of God became a man and died on a cross in our place. That whosoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. That we may be clean, cleansed to serve you, God. To live lives of worship and adoration. Oh Lord, and I recognise that it is so easy for us to settle. I reckon it's so easy for me to settle too. I've got to get there and do it. And I've got to be here. And I've got to make, I've got to do the right thing. Yeah, I'm living for you, God. Lord, would you lift our eyes again? Lift our eyes again to see that you have done it. You have conquered sin and death. You've conquered fear. You are the king. You're reigning. And we can live for you. Amen. Let's worship together.